The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. We are going to have a chance to have our hearts broke open this morning, <laughs> if you want it, if you want it. So we're going to do that. I'm going to be your curator on that journey this morning. My name's Scott Erickson, and uh, from 2009 to 2012, I was on staff here at Ecclesia. I was the artist in residence, and I spent a lot of time making images and artwork out of this community, and there's remnants of it all over here still. Uh, currently, my wife and I and our three kids live in Portland, Oregon. Um, and I make my living as a full-time independent artist, which is like taking a vow of poverty. That's why I'm really spiritual. Um, so, well, that's that. We're gonna, um, we're gonna talk about prayer this morning, which is everybody's favorite topic, because talking about prayer is like talking about your ab routine, like nobody feels like they're killing it, okay? And uh, <clears throat> I'd like to say this about prayer. Prayer is not getting God's attention. That's voodoo. Prayer is awakening to the voice and work of God already in your life. Already in your life. My friend Justin McRoberts and I, um, we wanted to make something about this uh, a while ago. So we made, we've made a couple prayer books. Our latest one just came out this week. And... Um, because there's, look, there's tons of prayer books out there, more than we need, actually. Uh, but what we found a gap in was that a lot of them are just telling you how to do it. And uh, our premise is that we don't pray because we're religious. That's, a religion helps with the form and structure of prayer, but that's not the essence of what it is. We pray because we're human beings. Like, prayer is a human activity. And whether you're religious or not, at some moment in your life, you've gone, please help, please help please help, right? And so we wanted to give something for those who come out of a tradition or who have no tradition at all. And our latest one is based on the Lord's Prayer because we think what Jesus said to his disciples is really important because the disciples lived at a time where there was lots of religion and probably lots of bookstores and lots of ways of doing things. And they were still like, hey, how do we pray? And he goes through this whole thing. And, and I've heard lots of sermons on the Lord's Prayer, and we're not going to do that this morning. Because what's been transforming in me is what he says right before he gives the Lord's Prayer. And he says, hey, don't be like unbelievers who just spend all this time using all these words and stuff. Because your Father in heaven already knows everything you need. Uh, Jesus, can I ask a question? Um... So then what do we pray about? Have you ever had this like kind of, if he already knows, then why, do I, why am I doing this, right? What do we pray about? So maybe the Lord's Prayer isn't a series of things we need to go through as much as it's a practice of beginning to live into a reality that's not normal for us or it's hard to get to. Maybe it's an invitation into a way of living. Because we've all heard this. Jesus was saying, talking to his disciples, and Thomas is like, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus said, oh, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well from now on. You do know him and have seen him. Here's the thing. I was talking to a friend, and he was like, do you think that Jesus is the way? And I was like, yeah, I do. But can you tell me what the way is? He's like, what do you mean? I was like, is it a path? Is it a journey? Is it a practice? Is it a rhythm? 
He's like, it is what it is, it's the way, right? And I think when we say that, because we don't always acknowledging the images of what our words mean, we'll get to that in a second. What we think when we say Jesus is the way, maybe you imagine kind of like the cosmic, the kindest cosmic bouncer outside the kingdom club. He's like, you wanna get in here? I'm the way, uh, right? And we view Jesus as this thing in the way. And I don't think that's what he's saying at all. So let's go into what is the way? I think he's inviting us into a way that he is the way. So let's explore that. Um, so rhetorical question. Hey, baby, rhetorical question. No, uh, we love babies. We love the sounds of babies here. Chris has told you. Uh, do you know why we celebrate St. Patrick's Day? Um, and if I know this summer, Chris went through uh, the Celtic way of evangelism and what St. Patrick did in Ireland has affected the ethos of this community. Um, but the story of St. Patrick goes like this. Uh, St. Patrick, when he was a young teenager, he was captured by Irish pirates. Just imagine you two with pirate haps, right? And they captured him and they took him to Ireland as a slave. And he was enslaved at a farm for six years. And two things happened to him while he was there. Uh, one is he spent a lot of time out in the fields and stuff, and he began to hear the voice of God. And he, like, grew in hearing the voice of God in his life. And the second thing that was surprising is that he began to love his captors. He fell in love with the Celtic people. And six years into it, one night he has a dream, and God comes to him and says, get up, walk out of here, and walk to the coast, and there's a boat there. Get on that boat and you'll go home. So he gets up in the middle of the night, sneaks out of the farm. He walks to the coast, which was like 200 miles. He walks to the coast, gets on the ship and goes home. He ends up going to school. He becomes a priest and he's a priest for decades. And then one night late into his 40s, he has a dream and God comes to him or no, in this dream, the, the owner of the farm that he worked at, the slave owner comes to him and says, farm boy, I guess it's a Princess Bride reference, farm boy, come back to us. Come back to us and teach us your ways. And Patrick goes to his superiors and is like, I want to go to Ireland and I want to bring the gospel to Ireland. And look, at the time, in the Catholic empire, which sounds really weird to say, but uh, Ireland was the least church place in the whole Catholic kingdom. And so uh, Patrick took about 40, 50 people who are priests and artisans and farmers and cooks and they went to Ireland and they didn't come and draw their swords and be like, our way or the highway. They came in and they began to say, God is already in your midst. Let us show you. See the shamrock, the three petals, that's like the Trinity. And they began to honor the Celtic society and, so be, and show them that God is involved. God is already here. And they would set up, they would teach people through like hospitality and food and all of this stuff, which has affected this community immensely. One of the ways they would teach people how to pray is they would do it like this. And we'll all kind of do it for a second, all right? So you're sitting down, just get your tush nice and comfortable. Just, you can close your eyes. If for some of us, when we close our eyes, there's too much chaos, just find a spot to look at, right? But close your eyes. And this is what they would do to teach people how to pray. They would say, um, okay, imagine you're in your garden. And at the time, everybody had a garden because they had no H-E-B, right? So imagine you're in your garden. And if you don't have a garden, you live in an apartment, this city is covered in concrete. But just imagine like a green space you go to 
that you connect with something natural. Imagine you're in your garden and Jesus and the disciples are there. And when we say disciples, yeah, we mean the 12, but we also mean Mary and Martha and the women who supported Jesus's ministry. We also mean like the saints throughout time, Teresa Avila, St. Francis, Mother Teresa, MLK, all of the saints, the disciples of Jesus are there. And you're there too, in your garden. What are they talking about? What are they talking about? And this is how they taught people how to pray. What's, if you need to stay in that conversation, please do. But what is happening in this moment? What's happening right now? We're using our imagination. We're using our imagination. And the definition according to Webster in the book about how we use words in the world is that an imagination is the faculty or action of forming images of external objects not present to the senses. We're able to create pictures, images that aren't present. And we all have this capability. It's not just for creative types who work at Disneyland. We all have this ability because you can buy a plot of land and imagine the home you'd like to build on there one day. Some of you are gonna cook dinner for some people today and you've imagined the bacon cheeseburger you're gonna grill, right, while you're doing that. And for some of us, we're speaking in front of people and we've imagined what shoes should I wear this morning? Oh, none of you are on Instagram? Okay, great. Um, that's a joke then, way over your head. Get out from under that rock. So, uh, <laughs> we all have this capability of imagining things, right? And uh, what's interesting to me is that we've talked about imagination a lot. We've heard it all in our culture. But imagination is about forming images. And I've made a career about forming images. And I have some thoughts. So, about forming images. So, our words that we use, that I'm using now, are rooted in imagery. Whenever we're communicating to another person, we're referencing something that we're seeing externally or internally, our thoughts or our feelings, right? So when I was to say she, I'm referencing a person. Was, I'm referencing a moment in time. Sweat into the oldies, I'm referencing a global franchise created by one of the, the most delightful people ever to exist, Richard Simmons, right? And so she was sweat into the oldies is not just words, it's referencing a very real thing that exists, right? So when we talk about our beliefs, which are rooted in our sacred text, rooted in words of the Bible, well, those words are rooted in images as well. But maybe we haven't really considered that. A lot of us spent time growing up in Protestantism, which has no images at all. And so we're like, no, it's all about the words. But the images are there. You might not even know that they're working, but they're informing the words you're using. Let's do this mental exercise. Imagine heaven. You don't have to close your eyes, but just imagine heaven, whatever comes to mind first. And if we could see in each other's heads right now, uh, after the initial shock and horror of what we'd find in there, because we know what's in there, uh, we would see very different images about what heaven is, about what that word references. But we would also find similarities between all of us. And I bet you cold, hard cash right now, give it to me, that uh, those images are not informed by the Bible, that's words, but have been informed by cartoons and movie clips and caricatures and paintings and comic books that you've seen throughout your life. There's no biblical precedence for angel wings, clouds, and harps. But when I asked a bunch of teenagers in Tennessee last week, tell me what heaven is like, they're like, I don't know, angel wings, clouds, harps, right? 
We have these images that have been associated with this word, and now these images are actually informing the words that we use. And look, because we don't often have a visual vocabulary, we end up becoming a culture of word policing. Oh, you didn't, wait, what did you say? I don't say it that way. I don't, are you on my side, right? Two people can be having an argument describing the same image. They're just using different words. And also, I actually think when people get rid of their belief, like I don't believe this anymore, we're not actually saying, I don't believe the words anymore. What we're saying is like, the images stopped working for me. I don't believe in God. Tell me why you don't believe in God. And they describe the God they don't believe in anymore. And you're like, yeah, that God's crazy. I don't believe in that God either. And for some of us, like, there is this visual culture that's associated with our faith. And there's a lot of images and they don't work for me anymore. Maybe they work for you a little bit. Like this one doesn't really work for me anymore. It's fine. I've never had that interaction with God. I don't really sit in that position very often. Um, it can still work for you, but there's all these kind of images that are there that I guess were supposed to like work for us, but they don't. They kind of get creepy or weird disembodied in a way, uh, right? Or you're like, was Jesus from Norway? I don't know. Uh, this is like the James Franco Jesus, you know? And then the buddy Jesus. There's all these images being, none of this is real. It's all just made up. None of this is real, right? And we, but these images are happening in our culture and they're happening all the time. And you're like, I just don't know if I, is this what I'm supposed to believe in? Is this what I'm supposed to buy into? And you're like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I can anymore. I don't know if I can because it's kind of ridiculous and it's not even true. It's not even true, any of it. And it can be funny. We should play with it and stuff like that. Right? And also what's happening though is that people start to make up images and they associate things with other things. And then they start to form us in ways that we're like, ah, I just don't know. Because we've all seen the formation finally come to fruition and we're like, if this is what believing in this is, I don't want any part of it. Because what's happening is the images that we're using in our imagination are forming us. They are forming us because imagination is not about the images. Imagination isn't the images. Imagination is the place, the faculty, the space inside of you that holds images. And that place can do lots of things. It can lead us to our greatest achievements and it can lead us to our greatest destruction because it took imagination to figure out how to put people on the moon and it also took imagination to how to figure out how to systematically destroy a group of people. It's the same place that can lead to both spaces, destruction or life. And so what we need to pay attention to is what are we putting in there? into this space? What are we allowing to rest in there? And look, I'm a professional artist, which means I'm a crazy person. I'm a haunted person. Every day images come to me and they're like, make me. And I'm like, I can't, I'm driving right now. And they're like, make me or we'll go away. I'm like, fine, pull over the shoulder, grab my sketch pad and, and draw it out. I'm just here to release the haunting. That is my job. But also in my experience, as a, as a follower of Jesus and as a creator, what happens in all the times that I painted every Sunday, all the services here at Ecclesia, an image would come to me and it would say, uh, 
everything you need is here to make this, make this future happen. Because imagination is the place within you where the future, not the rapper, but the future is coming to you and showing you what's possible with what's already here. And your job is to do that mysterious, fantastic work of putting that together to enter into that future. And we see Jesus actually model this. He models this in his life. In the same passage that he gives the Lord's Prayer, he says this. He says, therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life. What you will eat or drink about your body, what you will wear, is not life more than food, which seems very anti-Houston, I don't know, Uh, and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Parentheses, yes. Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? So why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor or spin, yet I tell you not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you? You have little faith, so don't worry, saying, what are we eating? What are we drinking? What shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. Jesus embodies a way of being in the world, which goes, God is already knowledgeable about me and my life and what's happening I don't need to get God's attention. God's already involved. God's already aware. But live into that kingdom. Live into the kingdom of already being seen. And all these things will be taken care of. So how do we do that? And what are the images that are informing that entering into that kingdom? I would like to use this as a metaphor. So if imagination is the place within you that holds images, let's use the viewfinder, right? Let's use the viewfinder because it's just a thing that holds images. And I would say that there is the kingdom of heaven, which is the kingdom of love that we have images for. And then there's the kingdom of fear, which is the opposite of love. And the premise and how we know what images are leading us into the kingdom of love or the kingdom of fear, I'll use these two things. The kingdom of fear says this is in the way. And the kingdom of love says, no, no, this is the way. These are the criteria about understanding what images are leading you. If, you. if it's in the way, it's leading you to the kingdom of fear. If it is the way, it's leading you to the kingdom of heaven. So let's look. Let's look at the kingdom of fear for a second. I'm working through a little thing in my throat. Um, the first thing that we come across that's always in the way is a-holes. Uh, stay with me. Stay with me, Bible Belt. I know, we're in the Bible Belt. Just hold on a second. Because you drive in Houston, and I know what it's like to drive in Houston, and it's crazy. And look, I'm not saying if you own a large truck, you're an a-hole. No, because that's like the entire city. But I am saying that 93% of a-holes love large trucks. Because we've all had this experience, right, where you're just driving around Houston. And then maybe you're in a part of town you've never been in, and you're just simply driving, like I was one time, and uh, you're like, oh no, this lane ends, I didn't know. And you get over and you're like, oh, I'm so sorry. And then like the Batman of the road, the dark knight of street justice is like, what did you do? Ah!" 
and it's like right on your tail the whole time. And you're like, I'm so sorry. I just made a, a simple mistake. And they're like, no, justice needs to be met, right? And you're like, and you're like, well, just pass. I'm so sorry. And you're like, surely they have something else to do. And they're like, no, I can follow you for 15 miles. I don't have anything else to do right now. People are so angry. They're so angry with their cars. It's an entire interstate system of anger, right? What are we doing with our cars? We're taking the kindest car ever, the doe-eyed Jeep Wrangler. That's just like, let's go on an adventure together today. Let's go into nature together, let's go. And we've made it angry, like nature, I'm gonna roll all over you. Sorry. Yeah. Who knew that was the truth you needed spoken this morning? <laughs> um, if you have questions about the vocabulary this morning, please feel free to email Mike Yeager at Mike at Ecclesia Houston. <laughs> he would love to answer all of those questions for you. So the second thing that we get in the images of the kingdom of fear is them. Oh, them. Them is anybody that you've never talked to, ever had a meal with, never been over to their house, never visited their country. That's them. Your dad didn't wear a turban while you were growing up, so when you see a dad with a turban, you're like, who's them? What's them? What are they about? Right? Something else is happening in another culture or country. You've never been there. You're like, what's up with them? And if there's any problems, it's surely not us. It's obviously them. It's obviously them. So them, they're in the way. Um, my body, my body feels in the way. So, uh, this summer, we have some friends who live in uh, Southern California. They have a house, a family house in Newport Beach, which is just magic. And uh, they let us use it for free. So we spent a week at Newport Beach, surfing, swimming, all that stuff. And my son, Anders, is eight years old. And he met some like town kids who were like 10, 11. So he was like bodyboarding with them or just kind of hanging out with them in the ocean. And I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go see what's going on. So I'm like making my way out there in my swimsuit. And I hear one of these 11 year old boys turn to his friend and he looks at me and he's like, dude, is that your dad? Now look. I understand that I am a dad, and I'm in my 40s. I'm Norwegian, we never die. Uh, if you're just wondering, okay. But the weird thing about getting older is that we all kind of imagine our 14-year-old self still in here, and that's not how we look. And in that moment, I was like, oh, I look like a dad, yeah. I think I have a picture of me that day, yeah. <laughs> I have a dad bod. I have a dad bod. I look like a dad. <laughs> we, all, we all kind of have this idea of what we'd like to be, at, be like, what our bodies are supposed to be like, and that's mostly been given to us by commercials, advertisements, magazines, propaganda. And often when we are faced with the reality of my body, this magical biological masterpiece that we all find ourselves in, it can feel like it's in the way. My body's in the way. Love, love is in the way. We're at our favorite time of the year, an election year. And uh, right now the tribes are rising, you know, each side rising up to fight for supremacy. And the thing about tribes is that their main goal is self-interest. And the thing that's in the way of self-interest is love. Because love is self-emptying. 
Love is selfless. And in order for self-interest to win, something has to die. Love has to die. And whether it's on either side, an unwanted pregnancy or unwanted family running away from political problems, we don't want it. It's in the way. And it has to die. Love, love gets in the way. And then reality. Reality feels like it's in the way. Look, I'm an adult and a person of faith. There's two things to every conversation I'm in right now. One is, what's your Enneagram number? I'm a four, surprise. And then two, what are you watching right now? Because there's so much content. We're watching so many things. And I'm like, no, I haven't seen season three yet. I'm sorry, right? And it's great. There's good stories being told, all of that jazz. But when we turn it off, don't you find yourself in reality going, I wish it was a little bit better. Lots of awesome superhero movies. Look, if you took me and threw me against a wall, I wouldn't get back up and be like, assemble, you know? I nick my elbow on a table and I'm out for the day. My body doesn't do that. My life doesn't fit into an epic eight-part series that has an amazing narrative arc and a surprise ending that makes me wait another year to watch the second part. It feels like just a lot of days of showing up and being present and being responsible with what I have. And often rea that reality, it feels in the way. And the thing about the kingdom of fear, and this is in the way, is it always leads to destruction. Destruction of some kind, either a destruction of a space, destruction of somebody else, and self-destruction. It always leads to destruction. And then Jesus comes with a proclamation that there's another kingdom, this kingdom of heaven, this kingdom based in love. And he embodies and says, no, I am the way, this is the way, this is the way. So let's look at some of those images. He says this, this right now, this is the way. When I was thinking about imagination and I was thinking about... Um, as a kid, I was really formed by a couple people who embodied imagination really well. And the first was a group of people, and they were called the Muppet Babies. They're basically just the Muppets as babies, okay? <laughs> and they're, uh, the premise of the show is the Muppets are little kids, and they're all playing in this like play area. And they're having fun and doing all these things. And every now and then, their caretaker, Nanny, would walk in and be like, are you kids okay? And they're like, yes, Nanny. And they're just sitting on a couch. But that couch turns out to be an X-Wing, you know, or part of Star Wars or the, the Wizard of Oz. And what they were teaching us as kids when we watched this show was like, everything here is the stuff you get to play with. This is the, this is the elements of your imagination. This is the very stuff that you get to work with. And then the second person, a little bit older, um, was MacGyver. Now, you might not recognize it because it's the theme song that's catchy, but when you watch it without the theme song, you're just like, it's a dude doing stuff. He's tying things, he's plugging things in, he's picking up things, he's opening things, roll, jiggling, rolling. He's just doing things, you know, actions. And then there's like the big explosion, MacGyver, which never happened ever in the show. Um, and then he like rolls on the ground and shoots stuff, he eats an ice cream cone, he stands in front of an airplane with an awesome mullet. That's the show. So the premise of the show is MacGyver works for the Phoenix Foundation. He's kind of like a secret agent a little bit, and he's solving unsolvable problems. And so it, the great magic of the show is that in every situation, he finds himself in a situation that you're like, I don't know how to solve that. And because of his like knowledge of physics and chemistry and stuff, he just looks around the room and he's like, jug of chlorine, rope, 
lights and he makes like a trampoline and jumps out of the walls, you know, and it's like that. And it's great. It's great. But what he, what that show was teaching us is this prayer that we have, which is you will be given everything you need to accomplish what you've been asked to do. In your life, what you've been asked to do, you'll be given everything to accomplish that. Sometimes the solution though is hidden. It's not obvious. And the work of people of faith is to go and find that hidden solution. Sometimes you, you don't want to do this, but you're like, I can't, man, I can't figure it out. Can you help me? And you have to ask for help from another person or a group of people. Sometimes the only solution is doing it together. And then sometimes we've locked and turned off things inside of us because we got our hearts broken or we didn't want to dream anymore. And the solution is like, go back to that. Open up that door. The solution's actually there. I want you to keep being here. Everything you need will be given to you to accomplish what you've been asked to do. And so it's, there's this, but there's also the this behind the this. And Jesus shows us this as well. So the story, we've heard the story, right? There's a woman caught in adultery. Apparently she did it by herself because the guy's not there. <laughs> and they bring her to Jesus and um, they're like, hey, our law says we have the right to stone her. We caught her in the very act. And they're like, what do you think, Jesus? And then Jesus, he like stoops down on the ground and starts moving dirt. And they're like, Jesus. And then he stands up and he's like, if you're without sin, throw the first stone. And then it's written that the older men leave first because they're more self-aware. <laughs> and then all the way to the younger men until nobody's there. And then Jesus turns to the woman and says, where are your accusers? And she's like, they're gone. And he's like, I don't condemn you either. But go and leave, leave your life of sin. Go and leave the things that are destroying you. And look, I've heard this passage preached and read many things on it. And like writers and preachers like to expound like, what was Jesus writing? Was he writing the very sins of the people there? Or was he writing the Ten Commandments? You know, all of these things. And look, if it was important, it would be in there. <laughs> it would be in there. And besides a great distraction tool, it's interesting to me that what the author does say is that Jesus begins moving dirt. Because the story at the very beginning is of a creator that takes dirt, which is the very elements of the universe, and creates a form. But it's not the form that gives life. It's something invisible, something deeper. It's a breath, a spirit, a ruach that is put into the form that becomes humanity. And Jesus in that very moment is like, you just see this woman. You're just seeing the dirt, but you forgot the this behind the this, the essence behind this, which is the exact same as all of you. It's the exact same as all of you. Because when you look deeply enough, you'll see that it's all kind of connected. Like this uh, Vietnamese monk named Thich Nhat Hanh has this great exercise called, he calls it inner being. And he goes, you see this paper? Can you see the cloud in this paper? Because it takes a cloud to make rain and rain to fall to grow trees to make paper. So can you see the cloud in this paper? Can you see the sun in this paper? Because the sun shines on the world. In fact, everything grows because of the sun. 
And so can you, and that grows trees and they make paper. Can you see the cloud or the sun in this paper? Can you see the, the parent, the logger of this, in this paper? Because it takes a person to cut down the tree, take it to the mill and make paper. Can you see the parents of the logger in this paper? Because it takes two to make a thing go right, right? Can you see the parents of the logger in this paper? Can you see the grandparents? And so on and so forth. If you look deeply enough, you can see that there is an interbeing in all things. It is the this behind the this. And then, um, and then the last image is everyone. Everyone's the way. This is not my story. It was told to me by my friend Joan. Uh, Joan is a delightful septuagenarian who uh, spent her career being a nurse and then doing hospice care work for a long time. She retired and now she paints. And we met actually in our, at an art show and she told me the story as we were carrying our stuff to our cars. And when she hit the punchline, I broke out into tears. Uh, and I'm not expecting that from you, but I'm going to try. <laughs> Joan uh, moved with her family, her brother and her mom and her dad, from St. Louis to Tacoma, Washington in the late 40s, early 50s. Uh, and within a year, her mom died of a fatal illness. And, and she was like, look, my dad was an unabashedly racist man, but because of our financial situation, and at the time, uh, African-American nannies were less, you know, were the, like less expensive than white nannies, thus began a series of African-American women in my life to take care of me. And she's like, my brother and I didn't care. We were young, we didn't care what color the skin was, we just knew they weren't our mom. And so in a way that children can only be, we were like the little turds that kids can be to, to adults they don't like. And she's like, our goal was to make them cry and quit. And she's like, we were really good at it. And then this one woman came into our life that we loved. And she had a kind face and a wonderful smile and a beautiful voice. And she's like, and she loved me and filled a spot in me that I really needed to be filled in. Years later, it's about 1968, Joan's in nursing school. Um, she's hanging out with some friends in Tacoma, Washington, in their apartment. And um, uh, she hears that there's actually going to be a civil rights march in Tacoma. This is a year before MLK was assassinated. And she's like, we got to go. We got to go down to that march and support it. And her friends are like, no, that's not our thing. She's like, no, we need to go. We need to go down there. They're like, no, you go. We're not going to go. And she made her way to the door and she said her boyfriend met her at the door and was like, hey, if you go, I think we should be done. She's like, fine, we're done. She made her way down to where this march was going to start. She didn't know anybody there, but she ran into this woman that she hadn't seen in years. So the nanny that she had, had a friend, had a young daughter that was her same age and it was her. And look, Joan's like 75 and she's like, I can't remember her name, you know, so we'll just call it this, her, this woman. All right. And she sees it. She's like, oh, I remember you. Uh, could, I, could I walk with you? And she's like, yeah, come here. Let's walk together. So they begin this march. Tacoma's not a big city at the time. Not a lot of people uh, on the sides. But as they make their way into the city, the crowd on the side gets larger and larger. And it's quiet at first. And then there's some murmurs. Then there's some shouts and some slurs. Some really awful things said. And then things start getting thrown. Rocks start getting thrown. And Joan was like, look, I was an atheist, angry Irish Catholic woman. 
And I did not believe in that, in God at all. But in that moment, I prayed to God and said, would you let a rock fall in front of me? Because all I want to do is throw it back. And she's like, and the Lord works in mysterious ways. And a rock fell right in front of me. She's like, yes. And she picks it up and she goes to throw it back. And she says, in that moment, her friend reaches her arm around and like stops her wrist as she's holding the rock. And then with her other arm, she kind of embraces hers like an awkward youth pastor hug, all right? <laughs> and then she whispers, she's like, she whispered in my ear these words. And she said, no, no, honey child, we do not throw rocks at our goals. We don't throw rocks at our goals. And, and Joan said in that moment, like, just everything disappeared. Everything blacked out. And she saw herself in, the, in front of two paths. And she was on one path. And that path looked like anger and revenge and violence. And then she said, this other path opened up in front of me. And it looked like love and forgiveness, restoration and healing. And she's like, I was asked, what do you want to go? What path do you want to walk down? And she let go of the rock. And she said, in that moment, her heart cracked open and love poured itself into her. She's like, I'd never really experienced love like that. That was the first time I'd ever really experienced God. And God entered into my heart. And she's like, I let the rock go down, fall to the ground. And my friend kept her arm around me. And we finished the walk together. <laughs> that story wrecks me. Because it's the truth that it's speaking to. Listen to me now. If you don't know, if you listen to the women and men who came out of oppression, who, who hearing the gospel of Jesus said, we are going to stand for our very right to be equal and our very dignity, and we are going to march nonviolently to do that. But we understand, because we understand we're entering, we're all entering into a kingdom, a kingdom that Jesus is going to bring everyone into. And we are headed toward that kingdom now. And we understand that they're going to be there too, even though they're throwing rocks right now. Even though they're throwing rocks right now. Everyone is the way. I made this drawing about how church is changing. We all kind of feel it, right? It's changing. Look, church was different in 1619, and it's going to be different in 2119, all right? And look, all of this is invented. We don't have to do any of this. If what spiritually formed us was pinatas and DJs, that's what church would be. But we're part of a long history of women and men who for thousands of years have been like, Hey, you know, uh, when we get together, something happens. You know, people will be like, we want to do it differently. We're going to do it different this time. So they're trying to do it different. And then somebody eventually is like, what if we sang a song? Would that be okay? And then somebody's like, yeah, what if you got up and shared some thoughts? <laughs> or what if we did something together? It's the same thing every time, right? Because we understand that when we sing songs together, it forms us. When somebody gets up and talks about life, it forms us. When we do things together and serve one another, it forms us. And so we have been part of a tradition of women and men who have partaked in being formed 
by what church is, but it's changing in a lot of ways. But I'm not worried about Christianity. I'm not worried about what's happening to Christianity because Christianity is a joke. Did you know that? Did you know the word Christian is a joke? The first church was not called Christians. One of the Roman leaders was like, what are you guys, like a bunch of little Christ, like Christians? And they're like, that's funny, we'll take that. And we started calling ourselves Christians then. The first name of the church after Jesus resurrects, ascends, sends the Holy Spirit and sends out his church, they called themselves the way. They called themselves the way. We have always been a people who are following the way. Jesus is the way. This is the way. And so we pray, Jesus, you are the way. You're not in the way. You actually are the way. God, we've made you in the way. Man, we really did. We made you in the way. And that's not what you were saying. You were inviting us to a way. And that you are that way. We want to be in your way. Not in your way. We want to be a part of your way. That's what we mean to say. So we love you. Break our hearts open. Change our hearts. And in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.